It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lauritsen. Brandy, I'm really eager to start the recording of this podcast episode today because before we started recording, you kind of teased us with the story that you have about a very impactful time in your life. And this was the result of us asking about where you were living. And you shared that when you were living in in tornado, I was because I just gave it away. When you were living in uh, Oklahoma, you were in an area where there were lots of tornadoes, and in fact, there was a big experience that you had with a tornado that seemed to have shaped your life in a, a major way. So I would love to hear that story and what impact it had on your life. There was about a two-year period there where everything just sort of seemed to go wrong. I had just gotten out of an abusive marriage. I had gotten pregnant. And while I was pregnant, I had, it's called peripartum cardiomyopathy, which is pregnancy-related heart failure. Wow. So my baby was born in at the end of January. And so come May, the story that I was telling you, it happened in May. And what year is this? This was 2013. Okay. I had three children. My oldest daughter, or I guess my only daughter was in junior high. I had my oldest son. He's the one who's got autism and he was in elementary school. And then I had this newborn baby, right? And if you can imagine, you know, I'd been out of this abusive marriage. We had moved, we called it our super secret bat cave. We had moved to more to our bat cave. And in Oklahoma, you're kind of, you're always ready for tornadoes. I know you guys said you lived in LA you probably have earthquakes, right? Right. Yep. And you stay sort of always ready for the next earthquake. Yes. Some of us do, although they're not as frequently as they don't happen as frequently as people might think. Unlike it sounds like tornadoes are pretty regular. Is that right? Tornadoes are not quite like hurricanes and things like that. They're regular in Oklahoma, but the chances of you personally being hit on that street, right? I liken a tornado to being in the path of an oncoming train. If you're in the path, you know it, but you can be just outside that path. I mean, it's a very narrow track. Most tornadoes come. You know, I lived in Moore for a long time, so I've been in several, and I've been in a couple that, you know, took everything. But on this particular day, and you know a tornado's coming because the weathermen or the weather people in Oklahoma are fantastic. and they'll tell you early that day or the night before, hey, this is a weather alert day. This is a tornadic storm. And so they had said that and I'd come home from work and I had picked up my baby from daycare and was at home. Now, my daughter's at junior high. My oldest son is at elementary school. And I'm at home listening to the TV and listening to this weatherman go, you know, this is a monster storm. This is a historic storm. If you're not underground, you're dead. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> wow. wow. 
Yeah. It's interesting hearing this because I grew up in Massachusetts and we would have, I don't want to use the word similar, but we would have experiences kind of like that with hurricanes and you'd get this warning, but it never felt quite that intense. So how did you feel when you heard those words? Had you ever heard it phrased like that before? Is that a common way to explain the oncoming storm, Brandy? Or or is this like very different than any other storm you've experienced before? I've been through probably three or four storms like this. So, you know, I've been through two before that, that, you know, wiped my house, got took everything. And that's one of the reasons I have things like I have my household management binder. That's a guide to the running of my household. This is one of the reasons why I have these things is because I've been through so many of these emergency situations. And after an emergency situation, you're left going, what am I going to do now? Right. I call it taping the glass. So I have this series called Survival Strategies for When Life Isn't Fair. And one of my strategies I call taping the glass. And it's basically doing what you can do so that when the worst happens, you're not completely destroyed by it. I mean, what a great thing to have for this time that the whole world is experiencing collectively right now. I imagine that pertains to COVID as well, or? Yes, absolutely. Some of the things like, when all of this started and we quarantined, I didn't have to go get water because I always have water. I always have extra cases of water. I always have backup thermometers. I always have these things because they're part of my household management plan. So you were already prepared in some ways. In some ways. I mean, you're never prepared to stay in your house for four months. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I think for my family, it affects us a little bit less. Because we're used to doing this, we're used to thinking ahead, and I'm used to homeschooling. I mean, I was used to homeschooling, I was used to teleworking, and I was used to being a single mother working and homeschooling at the same time. And so it wasn't that terrible of a transition for us personally. But it's because I had learned through things like the tornado and the heart failure and the leaving the marriage and all of these things. I've learned how to tape the glass. So that's kind of when you're listening to them over the TV and over the radio say these things. In some ways, you're prepared. On the other hand, I didn't have a storm cellar, right? So he's yelling on the TV, get underground. And I'm in a closet with my newborn. Something I'm always curious about in certain parts of the country where tornadoes are common, I'm kind of surprised to hear that not every home has underground or not every person has like access to something underground. Is that actually a, not a common thing to have? Like, is it just like, hey, you're just out of luck if you don't have access to going underground in this case? Like, well, it's expensive, you know. And and it's not like common for neighbors or like a public place to have like somewhere where the whole public can go to bunker down in these cases. Some places do, some places don't. I mean, that seems to me like disturbing to hear that. The first major tornado that I went through in my, I guess I'm calling it my adult life. I worked at Long John Silver's and we went in the walk-in freezer because the walk-in freezer is reinforced to such an extent to withstand most of what would come by, you know, because most tornadoes are not F4 tornadoes. They're not F5 tornadoes. Most tornadoes are small 
tornadoes. Think of the amount of, we're on what our like eighth or ninth named storm this year for hurricanes, for hurricane season. Most storms are not major hurricanes. Right. You know, it's kind of the luck of, you know, the roll of the dice. And most of the time being in an interior closet, being in a bathroom, being in something like that is plenty. So when you hear this guy say, if you're not underground, you're dead. (laughs) What did you do? Well, so two things were going on. One, I was listening to the guy and I was worried about me and my infant, right? I mean, I guess he was a couple months old. He wasn't a newborn, but we are in the closet. So what I did from the baby is, and I had already thought of this, I took the baby and I strapped him into his car seat, right? Flipped the car seat upside down so that he's like dangling from the straps, took his crib mattress and put it over it. So that between, like, if the roof happened to fall in, it would get me, then the mattress, then the car seat, then the baby. Wow. That was my plan. And as you thought about this before, was this just like a split second decision? When tornado season comes, you start thinking about that. Just like when hurricane season comes down here in Georgia, they start saying, have you thought of your hurricane plan? Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Right. You know, they say that so that people will think of it. Right. And so... I knew we didn't have access to an underground shelter. And so this was my plan. My plan was to put my baby in the car seat, take us in the closet, because most tornadoes will miss you. So you don't want to panic. You know, the last thing you want to do is get in your car and drive around, unless you're in a mobile home, then obviously leave. But you don't want to be outside, right? What time of day was this? So this was early afternoon. Because like I said, my two older kids were still at school and my daughter had a cell phone. She had just gotten the cell phone like the year before when they had gotten back because during my divorce process, before I had the baby, the two older kids went to my parents for six months. And so they came back, we had moved into this new house. And part of all of that was she had gotten the cell phone and she happened to have it at school, luckily. So she's sitting here texting me while all this is going on and the weather man screaming and baby and all of this. She's texting me this play-by-play with what's happening at her school. Which is what? Like, how do they handle this situation? Do they have underground? No. No, they don't. Really? Gosh, this is... I don't know why. It, It just seems like so odd that in an area like this, they wouldn't offer protection for everybody. How do you do that? Who's going to pay for that? Right. Yeah. And as they rebuild the schools, because this was a history making tornado and it actually hit three schools. So as they rebuilt them, they rebuilt them a better, you know. (laughs) However, she's texting me through all this and she's like, uh, they told us all to go out in the hallway. They put them all out in the hallway, you know, on their knees and stuff with their hands over the back of their heads type of thing. And she's like, the principal just went on, mom. She sounds nervous. And the lights just went off. And then she texts, she says, mommy, I'm scared. And I'm sitting here going, it's okay. It's okay, baby. You're going to be fine. Just do what your teacher says. Just follow the rules. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And I get this text and it says, mama, I'm scared. And then the tornado goes by and the lights go out and the train goes by. And everything is just chaos for a minute. You know, if you've ever been in the path of a near, even if the tornado just misses you, which is what happened at my house, right? It's like the sound of a train going by. And so the tornado comes and our power goes out and, you know, I'm crying and the baby's screaming. 
but it passes and I'm okay. And I do the cell check and I'm like, whew, you know, I'm fine. And I check the baby and I'm like, okay, he's fine. He's not happy, but he's fine. And I send my daughter a text and I said, it's over. It's over, Samantha. Everything's okay. And there's no response. Oh my God. Oh, I have chills. Yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing. I couldn't get anything on her cell phone. So Daniel's the baby. I gather up Daniel and we get in the car and we go pick up Joshua, my older son, at his elementary school. And Joshua's autistic and he, you know, Everything seems fine so far. And he comes out of school and he's like, I'm hungry. You know, what are we going to do? Didn't even phase him at all. And I said, okay, well, we're going to go get your sister. And we get in the car and start driving. The junior high is about it's a couple miles from my house. And we start driving towards the junior high. And we get about a block down the road and can go no further. The tornado missed my house and the elementary school by blocks. And it's absolute devastation absolute devastation and we can't drive any further i mean power pulls down buildings completely gone like all that's left is foundation people are wandering around like refugees just shell shocked. and somewhere on the other end of this war zone on the other side of all this devastation is my daughter and in that moment that's why i said there are pivotal moments in your life where you stand and you go what am i going to do now what now? And you get up. And so it took us hours. I took my infant in his carrier in his stroller, and I took my little elementary school kid by the hand, and we crawled for hours through this over power lines. Sometimes, I mean, walked and climbed over things and past things, get within sight, okay? And it took us hours because you have to remember. I'm just recovering from heart failure, right? I had spent the majority of my pregnancy laying in my bed, hoping that I would have a baby before I died. And Daniel was born two months early. And so he and I were both just recovering from all of that. And so we make this trek. We get within sight of the junior high and it's basically collapsed. Cars were on top of each other. I mean, whole parts of the building were caved in. And you look as you're coming up on it. And the only thing I could think of was, how can anybody survive this? How can anybody survive this? Is your mind thinking the worst at this point, Brandy? Like, are you fearing that, obviously, based on what you just said, that she's gone? I mean, are you still maintaining somewhat of your composure? Or are you really kind of spinning out emotionally at this point? On the inside, I am panicking. On the inside, I am panicking. On the outside, you know, when you have a child with autism, your emotions are their emotions. And so the only thing I could do in that moment, because I still had this infant and I still had this child, was move forward. And in my mind and in my heart, I was crying and screaming and panicking, right? Because looking at this, it's like, who survives this? But I'm still moving forward because that's all you can do. You know, when everything is down, when there's nothing else to do, do something. And that's one of the things that I have in my survival strategies. It's like, get up, move. <laughs> I'll never forget this. Like, this will be in my brain when I die. I walked around the building and my daughter is sitting on the grass with her class. And she looks at me and she says, 
what took you so long? Oh my goodness. Faith. I mean, she knew I would come for her. Oh my gosh. How much time had passed at that point? Was that like a serious question for her? Yeah. Or it had been hours, hours <laughs> because and other people and other parents had come in and gotten their children in this time, right? How? Well, you could get in from other directions. You could get oh. in. Some people lived near there, right? So a lot of people went and picked up their kids early. I wasn't in the position to have been able to do that. Right. I'm a plus size person. I'm dragging a baby and a small child and I'm crawling through this stuff and I'm slow. I'm slow. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> and so it took me hours to get there. Wow. What? I mean, just that imagery of your perseverance through all these circumstances is so just, um, I don't even have the words for it. It's just incredible. And the fact that your daughter just waited for you and knew that you were going to be there for her. Yes. Now, what's her mental state like at this point? Are all the students okay? Does everyone make it out of there? Or what else is going on? So three schools were hit that day. Everyone made it out of the junior high. The junior high was actually the least, not the least bad off, but it fared the elementary school, one of the elementary, I think eight children ended up dying in it and uh, several teachers. <sighs> it was a major situation. And you just have to think, but for the grace of God, go I. Right. <laughs> and it was just the absolute devastation. Like if you can imagine the building being there and then all of a sudden it's just not there. It's just foundation. You know, or cars sitting on top of each other or trees. I remember my first major tornado in Moore. This was before Samantha was born. We had all go down in the cellar and you get the eye and in the eye of the tornado, everything is quiet, right? If you've ever seen like Twister in the eye, everything's quiet. And there's so many people packed into the storm cellar and everyone's like, get out, get out. And we open the door and we start piling out and we look over and trees are just getting sucked out of the ground. And all of a sudden, it's like, get back in, get back in. You see these things happen and you think to yourself, how do people survive this? But they survive it because they do, because the human spirit is something that will not go gentle. Yes. How, my goodness, Brandy, I know, first of all, your storytelling, this entire time, your ability to tell story is so captivating. As Whitney said, I mean, just... I feel goosebumps and I feel empathy and I feel completely sucked into every single word. And I suppose where my mind goes in all of this is when you experience what you have experienced, domestic abuse and thinking that you were going to die during childbirth and having the challenge and the opportunity of having an autistic son and surviving these natural disasters. I mean, the totality of what you've outlined is so fantastical and so not unbelievable, but incredible to receive what you've experienced. And I'm curious how these situations have shaped your resilience and shaped the strength of your spirit. What is it about these challenges, these hardships, these circumstances? How have they shaped you as a person and how can these type of situations build resilience in the human spirit? What's your perspective on that? My perspective is 
of course I can make it through. I've already done it. And so many people come and ask me, well, I could never do this, or how can you do this, or how do you do this? And I tell them, you already have everything you need. You have the ability to learn and to grow into your own best expression. If you look at it like that, you know, in the moment, I'm not going to lie, in the moment, it sucks. Okay. There's nothing about going through that that is like, I'm glad I went through that. No. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, I'm glad I went through that, you know, because it gives me the ability to understand people and to be able to spread the message of what I stand for and the message of a learning lifestyle that my company stands for, because I get it. You know, I get what you're going through. And I think that gives me not necessarily an advantage, but it gives me an insight. How do you manage to hold down a job and run a business and be a single mother and homeschool? How do we do that now that the whole world is having to go home and teach their children? Well, I've already been through it and I figured it out because you do. And it starts by the understanding that the world is interesting and it's worth it. When you experience, I suppose, let's call them traumas, you know, whether that is something you've experienced in an abusive relationship or the trauma of losing your home, the trauma of your daughter escaping death and seeing her school collapse, you know, these situations that can be traumatic for a person. With your education and and everything you do with exploring expression, What's the link and what are some things you would recommend for someone who's experienced a trauma in their life and they're identifying that perhaps that trauma and what they've been through is is limiting their self-expression, right? It's limiting their ability to creatively express themselves. Or maybe they're so afraid or they're so closed off because of the trauma they've experienced that they're not open to that level of self-expression. What's the link that you've seen between traumatic experiences and self-expression? And what are some tools or ways that you help people work through getting to be able to safely express themselves, even if they've experienced trauma in their life? Well, one of the things I have, you know, I just came out with this journal, 90 Days to Your Better Expression. It's a three-month journey to help people understand understand what their passion and their purpose is, because everyone has a purpose and everyone has a passion, right? And the whole first third of it deals with how to use your past, how to look back so that we can move forward. Because what happens is a lot of people get stuck looking back. And the idea is that I came across this great quote, and I don't remember exactly who said it, but it was something like, your past does not define you, it prepares you. You know, that's what I try to get across to people is that we all have to walk through fire. You don't become a diamond without pressure. And if you start to look at your past as preparation, this is preparation for my best expression. I could never do the things I could have never written the children's books about depression and about autism. You know, I have a book called Tip and Ben Find a Friend, which is the story of my son and his therapy donkey. Wait a second. Therapy donkey? Yes. He had a therapy donkey. The greatest thing ever. So fun little side story. 
Kip and Ben Find a Friend is about this unlikely pairing between this boy who couldn't fit in, right? Autism, everything was too large and too loud and too bright. And this miniature donkey who was too small and really couldn't do anything. And so the real donkey, the donkey in the story's name is Tip, the real donkey, her name was Wanda, right? My son's name is Doc, oh. name was Wanda. She was not actually a therapy animal. We had gone out to this farm, right, to what the therapy place did is you took a day and you walked through the farm and you to just to see if your child would connect with anything, right? So we went to this farm and in this other paddock is all these miniature horses where they keep the miniature horses and this little tiny donkey. And Wanda and her sisters had been rescued. They had been the pets of this older couple who couldn't take care of them anymore. And they had just been like left out to to fend, right? And they had been rescued and sent to this farm, this great farm. Except Wanda was, because of this, she was runty. She was this little tiny thing and she was not well socialized. And the other bigger donkeys and animals would bite her and would like torment her. And so they had to move her in with the miniature horses. And she wasn't actually a therapy animal at all. And we're walking through this farm and across the way, Wanda sees Joshua. Joshua sees Wanda. And it was an instant connection. Oh, my God. I love this. I love this. And the two of them, probably for the next year, I mean, he worked with her and she worked with him. And they both made such strides together through this friendship with this boy who was a little wild and this donkey who was a little wild. And by the end of it, he doesn't go there anymore. But last time I had talked to the people who own her, right, which is a fantastic farm. And she's actually in there with other miniature donkeys now. Oh, so the therapy kind of went both ways, in other words. Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Is this a farm that you want to say the name of in case anybody, is it something that anybody can go visit or make an appointment to go there or? It was a private farm that, that, which is why she wasn't really a therapy animal, because the doctor that, or the counselor, whatever, just rented space on the farm and had her therapy animals. And Wanda wasn't actually one of those. And so when that doctor moved to another location, you know, Wanda stayed there at the farm. It was a private rescue. So when they first saw each other, your son Joshua, is it? Yes, Joshua. When Joshua and Wanda saw one another, that first interaction, what was that like? What was his emotional response? How did she respond to him? What was that initial spark? Like, Can you describe observing what that was like? I didn't see them together for more of it. When we went in, we went into the front part because, you know, this is therapy. And she was out there in the paddock and he was on this side of the fence. And she was looking and he was looking. And then he walked off with the therapist lady and the donkey's kind of like following, right? And so I'm sitting out here in the parking lot area and I'm looking across and I see him go towards where the horse, I'm not like rustic, so where the horse barns are, okay? <laughs> and here is this little donkey like following them around. And I see them from afar. Joshua's going and wandering here. And then here's this donkey. And Joshua's looking back at it. And the donkey, you know, 
So at this time, to me, it just seems weird. It doesn't seem like there's a connection. It just seems like here's this strange little donkey following this boy around because she doesn't get up to him. It's not like he pet her, right? And except when he's done and he comes back out, he doesn't want to talk about the other horses or the donkeys or the different things that they had. He wanted to talk about Wanda because that's what he wanted to talk to the therapist about. And the therapist said, you know, we got a little bit, but he didn't really seem interested in the other. He just wanted to hear about Wanda. And the next time we come, you know, Wanda gets a little closer, but she doesn't wander off. You know, it took a couple times before they were actually working together, working together. There's a part in my Tip and Ben book where Ben is walking along and through the fence, he sees Tip and two eyes are staring back, you know, and they look at each other and it says both are something like so still and so quiet. Both Tip and Ben stayed as each tried to decide if they should run away. Then one blinked and one winked and both of them smiled. And that's kind of how it was. It, it wasn't like an instantaneous running off through the fields. It was, they were both interested and they were both patient with each other. A patient that I didn't know my son possessed at the time. And their friendship grew because they saw that they didn't have to be afraid of each other. I feel so just, my heart is just breaking open hearing this story for so many reasons. And what it brings up for me, Brandy, is I guess this idea of I don't know if safety is the right word, but do you feel like that interaction, looking at Joshua's personality and his demeanor, do you think that it was he felt a level of safety and confidence being in her presence and could therefore express himself in a different way? Like, And beyond that, what do you feel are some ways that a person who might be reticent to express themselves to get over the fear of expressing themselves? I know it's kind of a two-part question, but I'm curious how this particular situation fuels your teachings and your perspectives on, I guess, creating a container of safety and confidence for expression. They absolutely felt safe. And they had time. You know, Joshua went there every week, and neither one of them pushed it. Does that make sense? You know, they got a little closer and a little closer, and they gave themselves the time needed to make baby steps. And that's one thing. You don't have to make a leap forward. If it takes you 15 baby steps, you're still moving forward. And one of the things that we talk about in how to become your better expression is that if you start learning one thing every day, right? Learn something, whatever it is, that puts your feet on the path to expression. If you think about people starting to homeschool or wanting to write a book, Right. There's several people that I'm coaching through the book writing process and through the course development process. And that's one thing they ask a lot is they're like, I have this idea. How do I get started? And I say, well, you know, what have you written so far? And they say, well, I haven't written anything yet. And I said, well, write something, even if it's terrible. That first thing you write, it's opening the door a little bit. And once the door opens, greatness can come through it. Yes. That's so true. And I, it's funny how we need to be reminded of that. <laughs> I mean, I've heard that so many times and yet just hearing it from you, I'm like, yes, that's true. I needed to hear that today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's something that so many people don't because it's hard and they think they can't because they haven't. And sometimes you have to get shoved into a situation. And I think through all the different trauma that I've been through, 
it shoved me into a lot of situations that weren't comfortable. But through those, you know, you learn that it's okay to not be comfortable. Exactly. I mean, that's the message that we hope to convey in every episode. And we're so glad that you're, it is true, as we found that getting outside of that comfort zone is where the growth really happens. And yet, I think as human beings, we often feel resistance. We want to stay in our comfort zone. So we feel resistance to getting uncomfortable. And I think it's so beautiful that you're sharing all of these examples, including experience of discomfort that you didn't even ask for. You know, it's not like you put yourself purposefully in these situations. Sometimes we don't have a choice. Life is just uncomfortable whether we want it to be or not. Yes. I mean, sometimes we don't have a choice. Sometimes we have a choice. You know, my my children tell me all the time. So I'm a single mother and I've been single now for like a while. And when we got to Georgia, I thought briefly, I was like, oh, maybe I should go put myself out there. And my daughter turns, she says, mother, you know, you don't make wise choices. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did you laugh? Did you take it personally? How did you respond to that comment? I laughed. I laughed I mean, because it's true. You laugh because it's true. <laughs> In my household, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not good, but my children are free to say what they're going to say because I don't want them to ever think that they can't come talk to me. But I'm very clear to them that, of course, I'm probably going to judge. You know, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I'll just listen to whatever you have to say with an open mind and it's going to be great. I'm not like that. But I tell them, say what you're going to say. I'll probably judge, but then we'll get past it. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I like that balance because I tend to be that person that is really striving to have an open mind a lot. But I love your honesty and that that's just not who you are. But that last part about I may judge, but we'll get through it, I think is so key because it makes it safe emotionally. And for me, I've experienced a lot of challenges with judgment. I experience a lot of shame. And I think a huge part of that, Brandy, is that I'm afraid I'm not going to get through it with that person. You know, I think the root of that fear is about maybe abandonment or rejection, you know, it's that primal fear of being excluded from the tribe, you know, ostracized. But this idea of I may disagree with you, I might not like what you're doing, I might judge it, but we'll get through it is beautiful. Well, I am the type of person that should not have made it. Okay. I say this all the time when I speak to people. If you would look at me outside of exploring expression, okay? If someone just met me on the street, they see a overweight single mother, an overweight single black mother of three children by three different fathers. All accounts and purposes, I shouldn't have made it, but I am living my best expression because of that understanding that people may judge I know people will judge because I'm judgmental. You know, people may judge, but I'll get through it. You know, I'd say that to you too. You know, if you're looking at this worry that there's so many judgmental people and you won't be part of a tribe, you know, I'd have to tell you there's so many tribes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's again like 
It's one of those things that just feels good to be reminded of. So thank you so much for that, Brandy. And I think that's a really important message too, because I mean, it seems like we're in a constant state as a society. Human beings are just judgmental. Yes. <laughs> and maybe that'll never change. And I think a lot of us are yearning for more acceptance, but I'm not sure. I mean, if we look back on history, we've been judging and doing horrible things to one another throughout all of this time. And I don't know if the answer is like, let's just learn to accept one another. Like, I'd love for that to be the case, but maybe it is just the realization that we may not fit into every tribe. We may not be accepted by every tribe, but there is one that we will fit into. And I think also creating the resiliency to be okay with that. Yes. And that's not an easy thing. You know, that's not something I came to overnight. You know, that's something that takes work. And that's kind of what the 90 days to a bad expression helps put you on the path to is not an understanding of how to be something other than what you are. And that's why I say your best expression, because I want to make that point that it's your expression. It's not somebody else's. We want you to be the best of what you're supposed to be, you know, and the understanding that our children are watching us. And if you look at your child, do you want your child to be the best you or do you want your child to be the best them? And how do we teach our children to value becoming their own best expression? And we say over and over and over again here at Exploring Expression, we're like, Children will do what they see you do. Do you want to raise a learner? Well, then they have to see you being a learner. They have to see that, that you value yourself as something that's worthy of putting attention into and putting growth into. Learn something new every day because the world is fantastic and interesting and you're interesting. I'm so curious about, well, there's so many questions that have come up in this conversation. I'm going to try and like go through the Rolodex in my mind. But the one thing that came up for me in reflecting on the books that you've written and being a very accomplished children's author and an educator and, and having this entrepreneurial side as an instructor and curriculum creator, all the wonderful things that you are doing with Exploring Expression, I feel like with all of the obstacles and challenges, right? This may be a two-part question of, I mean, in my opinion, like, with everything that I'm learning, and I'm being very, very educated right now on a lot of the systems and systemic racism and the way that the deck is stacked, let's just say it that way, right? Being a single mom of three, being a black woman, having survived all the traumas and disasters, and knowing that in some ways the deck is stacked against you. Like you said, you are a person who, quote, should not have made it. You have somehow had the will to maintain your dreams through all this, right? First of all, that's incredible. But also when you teach others to say, model for their children, what is the role of not giving up on your dreams through everything you've been through in your life? Because I think it would have been very easy for you to throw your hands up and say, you know what, I'm just giving up. Not necessarily giving up on obviously protecting and caring for your children, but your desire and your dreams, you could have just thrown it off a cliff and walked away, but you didn't. How were you able to do that? And how do you teach adults? how to model holding on to their dreams for their children. And why is that so important? Okay, let me answer that in two ways. How did I learn that idea of holding on to? Let me start there. 
So when I was in high school, my parents moved. We were in Oklahoma and my parents had been retired from the Air Force, but they still had that gypsy blood, right? Or I guess better term, the wandering spirit. (laughs) And they decided they wanted to move to Nebraska. And as a teenager who had been moving every year her entire life, I had no desire to do that. And I was very vocal about my desire to not move. And so they gave me tickets for my birthday to David Copperfield. I don't know if you're familiar with the magician. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Like he made it snow in the auditorium. Just one of the most magical moments I'd ever witnessed. And I took my friend and I, we get home and I get home from that only to find out that my parents had moved. They moved. So I bounce around a little bit and I end up homeless because they now live in Nebraska and I'm in Oklahoma. Hold on a sec. They sent you off to David Copperfield. Yes. And then when you got back, they were gone? Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It was a low moment, right? And I ended up homeless, right? And after a time in high school, you know, not knowing what I was going to do. And the parent of one of my friends from high school discovered that and took me into her house and let me stay with them. They weren't well off. There was a lot of kids there. Her name was Kathy. And this is something that she did because she had a giving spirit. She took in, not small children, but she took in teenagers with no other place to go. And she did that for me, not once, but twice. You know, after I graduated National Achievement Scholar and I went on to college and I ended up, my mom had gotten sick. So I ended up dropping out of college and moving to Nebraska. My parents had in the meantime, gotten a divorce. So my dad was off and my mom was sick and my younger brother was up there. So I dropped out of college. I moved up there and ended up after she got better, you know, she was like, I'll give you a thousand dollars to go back to Oklahoma and not come back. And at that time I was like, a thousand dollars. Cause it's a lot of money when you're young, right? It doesn't go very far. And I ended up homeless a second time living on the street under factories, whole nine yards. And again, this woman, Kathy, found out and picked me up and took me in. And she didn't have to, and she couldn't afford to, and she had a host of like painful, debilitating medical conditions, and she was a bartender. But every day, through the pain of arthritis and degenerative disc disease and all of this, she got up and she went to work and she made sure that we had Thanksgiving, that she made sure that on your birthday, even though I wasn't her child and some of the other teenagers weren't her child, you know, that we had a cake and we got to watch what we wanted on TV and little things. And since then, I mean, I'm going to say now, my parents and I have a beautiful relationship. In fact, my mom is my partner in Exploring Expression. We've healed all that. But she taught me that, Kathy did, you have to love people where they're at, not where you want them to be. And that includes yourself. You have to love yourself where you're at. And that's one of the things that I've carried now as all of these things happen to me. And it's like, wow, this sucks. Wow, I can't believe I got into that mess. Wow, what happened here? It's that understanding that it's okay and you're okay. I'm going to love myself where I'm at. And because I love myself, I'm going to strive forward. Because I love my children, I want the best for them. Because I love myself, I want the best for myself. And that's the idea that I'm trying to, and the only way to get there is to learn something new. 
that's the idea that we're trying to communicate to people is that you're already worth loving. Do you want to reach your dreams? Well, learn something. Everything's out there. Like so much information is at our fingertips. If you're going to bed and you haven't learned something new today, get up, get up and learn something and then go back to bed because we want to be learners and we want to raise learners. We don't want to raise students waiting for the people to spoon feed them a perfect future. We want to raise children and raise ourselves to go get our dreams because they're out there waiting for us. I love this approach, Brandy, because I feel like so much of the rhetoric that is put out into the world from people who are educators or let's say transformational leaders or people in the self-help community, you know, psychologists at all, a lot of people doing it, that many of them, not all of them, but many of them have sort of a position that in whether it's a overt or subtle way that, hey, you're not good enough. You know, you don't make enough money. You're not necessarily your best self yet. It's almost the opposite of what you're saying, where they're trying to motivate you to take action because you're not good enough yet, right? It's a not enoughness conversation. But I love your position, your foundation of teaching of that, accept and love yourself exactly where you're at, which I think flies in the face of the media and the marketing and the advertising. And in general, I think sort of the narrative in our society, which is, hey, until you buy this thing, have this thing, make this much money, have this hairstyle, hang out with these people, then you'll be good enough. Then you'll be worthy of love. But what you're saying is, hey, wherever you're at, you are worthy of love and success and joy right now. That's kind of a radical thing if you look at how society operates, which is the opposite of that. Yes, absolutely. So many times we hear, you should improve because right now, you suck. Right. <laughs> and that's why we use your better expression as opposed to another term. You know, and that's the whole point of the company exploring expression is that your expression now is beautiful. We want more of it. How can you take that beautiful thing inside you? So one of my children's books is called Dandelion's Magic. And it's about a wildflower, right? I'm trying to find his purpose. He's planted in a garden with like roses and tulips and nobody wants wildflowers for their table. And he's trying to find out what good am I? And the whole point of that is that he's perfect because he's a wildflower. Okay. And the activity book that I wrote that comes with it, because, you know, we're all about learning. So all of my children's books, I write these activity books and lesson plans and all of this stuff. So in the activity book that comes with it, there's this little coloring page all about how do you find your purpose? And it's what you love, your passion, plus helping people. And that's what we tell people is you are good at something. Everybody is good at something. You're born good at something, even if it's just, you know, snapping your fingers in time. You're good at something. If you take that thing you're good at and figure out how to use it to help people, that's your purpose. It's not doing something new. It's doing, taking what you are that's great and making it fantastic because you're already great. And I think we don't tell our children that enough. You know, we don't have these conversations and I'm surrounded by people with mental illness. You know, my mother is bipolar and my brother has PTSD and a conduct disorder and my son is autistic and my best friend has borderline personality disorder. And so I'm surrounded by these things that make people in the eyes of the world 
less. And the reason why the world thinks that is because we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about that, you know, you are not your situation. You have a situation, but you're not your situation. Yeah, this is so critically important. I'm glad that you brought up mental illness because I feel like slowly it's becoming more of a mainstream conversation with, for whatever role they play, athletes and entertainers and celebrities talking about their mental illness, which I think in some ways gives other people permission to discuss it and hopefully starts to remove the shame and the stigma as you're describing, right? And there still is a massive amount of shame and stigma, I think, for people to not only discuss it in a way that is hopefully healing and progressive, but removing the judgment and the stigma that society places on someone who has a mental illness. And I remember for years, and I'm so glad you brought this up, Brandy, you know, I was afraid to talk about my own mental illness, my clinical depression, my suicidal ideation, my panic attacks and anxiety attacks and the things that I've been through because I felt like I was going to be judged by people. I felt like they were going to go like, what right do you have to feel that way? As if it was a choice, as if I was choosing to experience that mental illness. But through having the support of a best friend like Whitney and a loving family and presenting that, I don't feel the shame or the stigma that I felt years ago of not wanting to discuss that or even let people know what I was going through. But it still is an unwinding, right, socially of the judgment that we have on somebody who has that. You know, recently, Kanye West has, has been going through this whole thing of like, should he be committed? Should he be put in a mental institution? Is he bipolar? As one example of kind of a mainstream conversation around mental illness, there still is a lot of shame and judgment around we don't have any idea of what they're going through. I think to me, that's one of the biggest challenges I experience is when people want to, I suppose, put their two cents or comment on an illness that they don't really have any experience with, you know? They don't know what it's like to go through something like that. Right. And everyone's experience is different. It's funny, they have the saying, you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Well, the same can be said with depression and the same can be said with panic attacks. I know personally, you know, I'm not clinically diagnosed with any sort of mental illness. However, I can't cross mountains, period. I mean, I will go like all the way down to the coast and all the way back, you know. And the last time, the kids and I love taking road trips. And the last time we took a big one with my daughter, we ended up in like Kentucky and had to cross over to Virginia where my parents are. And I had to spend the whole time with a blindfold taking what is it for anxiety, taking anxiety medication, asleep for the entire drive and had to let my teenage daughter drive it because I got to this point and in my brain, it was, you're not going to go any further than this. That's all you're going to go. It makes no sense. But I have this saying that I tell to my family because, you know, we do have a lot of mental illness in my family that when you live with crazy people, people with mental illness, mentally ill things sometimes happen. And that's okay too. It's the idea that sometimes life isn't fair. And I think if more people understood that sometimes life isn't fair for everybody, whatever my not fair is, you also have something in your life that that's just not fair. And the person standing next to you, something's going on or has gone on in their life that isn't fair. There is no one, even the Kanye West and the, you know, the rich, fabulous people something in their life isn't fair because that's how life is. It's what do we do with it? Do we let it keep us down? That's why my number one survival strategy is get up. 
Because as long as you're looking at the ground, you're never going to see what's in front of you. You're never going to see what's possible. And we have to be willing to have those conversations. And being able to have those conversations means that we have to be okay with not being okay. Yeah, it's interesting when you bring up Kanye, because as of the time that we're recording this, he's been in the news a lot recently. And a lot of the conversation is based on the public's reaction to his mental illness. And it's brought up a lot of interesting articles that keep coming across about how we respond to people with mental illness. And what has your reaction been to all of that, Brandy, if anything? And is that something that you've been reflecting on as you've seen people react to him and how he's been acting recently? And I'm just curious what you think of that all. Well, I haven't read too many of those stories. I'm not going to lie, because this is, I don't watch a whole lot of that type of stuff. I'm familiar with it just because I have Facebook, you know, and so you're going to run into it. But I think the idea is the same that we don't know him. I mean, we know of him and we know all the famous stuff and the tabloid stuff, but he is also a person just like everyone else. And he's entitled, just like we are, to not be okay sometimes. And I'll never forget, I took like this year or two where I went around and I did these interviews with as many people that were different from me as I could find, right? Which was fantastic experience. And I did this interview with this Muslim imam. And I'd asked him, I said, what do you think is the biggest threat to Islam and Muslim right now? And of all the stuff that he could have said, you know, this was a couple of years ago, so it was right in the, the times that weren't that great for them. He said, people who don't understand their own religion. And ever since then, I come back to that again and again and again. That's like, look in your house first. That mm -hmm. why is it not okay for them to not be okay? Should they be great just because they're successful? Well, we can be successful. You can be successful. How bad do you want it? And that's what it goes back to. I do a lot and I pack a lot into my day and I pack a lot into my life. And people ask me all the time, how do you find the time to do this? And my answer is always, you don't. You make the time. <laughs> yeah. You won't find the time. You have to make it. And people will make the time for what they want. What do you want enough to make the time? And what he wanted, you know, what Kanye wants, J-Lo wanted, because we do, my son's in competitive dance, so we watch the world of dance. What they want, they worked for, and they made the time for the things that they want. What do you want, and how will you make the time for that? It's so true. And I love that you said that you don't pay that much attention to those things because I think that's also part of it. And I think a lot of people want to step outside of their own lives and judge other people or make assessments on them and gossip about them because it's a form of escape, you know? And it's like, as you said, what's going on in your own home? But a lot of us want to distract ourselves by paying attention to what's going on for somebody else. And yet, also, as you pointed out, we don't even know these people. And so we make these judgments and we I mean, there's a lot going on with Britney Spears right now. That's another uh, celebrity that's in the news a lot for mental illness and all this concern. And it's interesting because so many people just are trying to, like, analyze her and what's going on and we need to free Britney. And I'm interested in that if it is the reality of the situation. But every time I see any of this information pop up, I think, this is really a lot of people piecing together very small bits of information that they know of this person, like the tiny percentage of these people's lives that are made public without remembering that there is so much happening behind the scenes. 
So we're not even seeing the full picture of who these people are. And we never really can anyways, even with the people we're closest to. There's so much that goes on in our minds and our heart. Like coming back to what you were sharing about that day where you went to get your daughter, as you said, there was a lot going on internally, but that was different than how you were reacting externally. Yes. And I think that's such an important distinction to make because just because somebody is acting a certain way externally doesn't indicate what's happening to them inside. Right. It's safe to talk about those people because our words can't touch them and their actions can't touch us. We can expound, you know, it's kind of like dreaming about the house you want to build one day. It doesn't change anything, you know, as long as all you do is talk about it, it's not going to change. It's not going to affect their life. It's not really going to affect your life unless you let it, but it allows us a time to escape. However, I would put to people, if that's what you're spending your time on, what are you not doing? An example I give all the time is social media. You know, we all spend, and I'm going to use anybody, we all spend an unnecessary amount of time on social media, right? Legit. <laughs> yes. If you took 10 minutes out of every day, just 10 minutes away from your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, all of that, and instead learned something, learned one thing that would take you towards your purpose and your future and your passion and where you wanted to go. At the end of a year, you'll have spent two full weeks moving forward. You'll be two weeks closer to that life you want to have just in 10 minutes a day. But you have to make the decision that this is something that I'm valuing. And that's where having a learning lifestyle comes in. The boys and I are going to learn Spanish this year. That's our goal is to learn some Spanish. And they did not like the Spanish class. They did not like the Spanish book. And so I kept asking him, I'm like, well, especially my youngest one. I said, well, you want to learn Spanish? How are you planning on doing it? <laughs> if you're not going to read the book and you're not going to watch the thing. So we broke out the label maker and we labeled everything in our house. And we took this, you know, we took that 10 minutes, that 20 minutes, that 30 minutes, and we labeled like everything, the couch, the doors, the windows, the walls, everything. And then we took one show a day, one of the shows that the boys like to watch, and we play it in Spanish with English subtitles. Because if you value something, you'll find a way. There is not time in our homeschool day, and we got it, right? Sometimes, how do you find the time? Sometimes you don't, to sit and do this particular curriculum and this particular study. So how do we move forward anyway? And it comes from turning your attention to your best expression. You know, you don't want to be Kanye West's best expression. He's already doing that. <laughs> and you don't want to be Britney Spears' best expression. She's got that covered. How do you become your own best expression? Because we want our children to grow up to be the very best versions of themselves. And they only do that by understanding that that's something valuable and that's something worth making the time to invest in. There was a study I read a few years back to the listener, we'll put it in the show notes at wellevator.com. Our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. But Brandy, I, I remember this study. It was more of a survey than a study, to be honest, of elementary school kids and asking them what they wanted to be when they grew up. And one might expect, I don't know, maybe the traditional answers, right, of a scientist or an astronaut or an athlete or a, a doctor, you know? 
But an overwhelming majority of these kids in this survey, when they asked what they wanted to be when they grew up, said rich or famous or both. It wasn't a vocation. It wasn't a specific career path. They just said, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. And I feel that with what you're talking about, whether it's learning Spanish or learning an instrument or really figuring out what our highest expression is, I see you know, children and adults giving up because they're not great at something after the fifth try or the 10th try or the 15th try. It's like, ah, I'm, you know what? I don't want to do this because I haven't mastered it after you know, the fifth attempt. What are some ways we can start to, I guess, unravel maybe this mentality that we're supposed to be world-class at something after the fifth or the 10th attempt? And this mentality, again, that pervades our society of like, yo, what do you want to aspire to be? Rich and famous. Not to be great at something necessarily, but all they're looking at is is the means to the end. And how does that resonate with you? And how do you suggest we build consistency, we build resilience, we build focus in people and maybe start to dismantle this myopic focus on being rich and famous at all costs? I think it starts because, you know, we struggle with that. I struggle with that in my own house, you know many kids that I talked around here, they all want to be YouTubers. Yeah. Yeah. And now TikTok famous is such a big thing. (laughs) And that's what, you know, my older son either wants to be an architect or a YouTuber, but he doesn't want to work for it. He just wants to be that. And, you know, my younger son wants to be Dr. Strange, like the Marvel guy. (laughs) That's amazing, by the way. That's incredible. I love that. So there's two things I'm doing in reference to that as a parent looking at her child with this ideation. One is that I am focusing their homeschool on what they love, right? So you say you want to be a YouTuber, an architect, let me see you do it. Here you go. You want to do it? Go do it. Here's the tools. If you want to be good at it, let me see it. My younger son, he, you know, all he wants to do is be a superhero. So we're spending an entire year learning about superheroes. And one of the things that I'm, we're going to be learning about is we're going to be listening to the people who are that thing and finding out, because if you talk to these people and not even talk to these people, but if you study these people, they didn't start there. They worked for it. You know, my younger son, he's uh, seven and he does competitive dance and He's been doing it for a couple of years now. He absolutely loves it. But he watches these world of dance and these types of shows. And he does. He's like, well, I'll never be able to flip like that or to do these things that dancers do. You see how I support my children when I have no idea what it is they do. And then we go back and we find out, wait a minute, this guy's been taking classes for 15 years. Wait a minute. This guy tapes up his feet every night because his toes are bleeding because, oh, guess what? It's painful. If you want to be the best, you have to want it enough. And the only way we're going to understand that people have to work for it is to learn about each other and to learn about the struggles people go through. The, the, to learn that, you know, these basketball players, they don't just wake up one day and are Michael Jordan. <laughs> He still had to go and work out and go to practice and play basketball five hours a day, every day for 25 years or what, you know, I'm just assuming, I don't know exactly what he does. But the problem is there's so much that we only show our children people once they've made it. 
That's right. That's right. We need to not just show our children the people that are there, but to open them up and to allow them. I focus a lot on biography research in my homeschool. We do a lot with biographies and a lot with studying people because I want them to understand that people that are great are born with the same spark that you and I have, and then they work for it. And if you want it bad enough, what is it worth to you? You can be the very best expression. Everything that you need to succeed, the drive you already have. But now what's it worth to you? Absolutely. And I think that's so important because somehow there's this myth that's perpetuated about success being overnight. (laughs) And then especially for the younger generation, seeing the success that some people have on platforms like YouTube or TikTok, sometimes people become famous and very successful with very little effort. It's not that that doesn't happen. You know, you see these viral video stars or these people like on TikTok, there's this one famous girl on there who just, you know, was dancing in front of the camera. And now she's one of the biggest social media stars of all time and getting a lot of great opportunities. Like that can be perceived as kind of effortless. But then there are a lot of people who have been working for a very long time and there's a lot that you didn't see that led them to that point of success. And then the next stage is how do you continue with that? I think that's the big challenge we've seen with a lot of the younger content creators who may have very quick success, but it's really hard to sustain and or it's very confusing to them. Jason and I talked about this in a previous episode because I watched this documentary called Showbiz Kids and it talked about the toll that show business has on children. And a lot of big challenges can come up as you're developing as a human being and simultaneously managing your career. That's really tough. And I think that it's important to talk about those things. So it's so wonderful, Brandy, that you're sharing this. And I hope that it's inspiring other parents to examine these things and to talk about them and also not like brush it off. I think one of the other things I love about what you do is you figure out what the passion is and then you examine it from a lot of different perspectives instead of just letting the kid do that on their own or telling them to do something else, which I think is something that some parents do where they want to deny something like you can't be a superhero, like you need to be a doctor, that kind of cliche thing, or you can't be a dancer for whatever reason, like that's never going to make you money. And I just love that you are embracing your children for where they're at right now and teaching them a lot that they may not be exposed to if they were trying to do this all on their own or just paying attention to what the media presents them. I think it's easy to forget sometimes that they're children, you know, that uh, are you doing what you wanted to do when you left high school. I went to um, Oklahoma State the first time for civil engineering. And then I dropped out. I went back to college and I was like, what can I get a degree in fast and make a bunch of money? And I'll do that, you know, but they're children. And I think we forget sometimes that we were also children (laughs) and that it's okay to, you know, my daughter, as she was growing up, she loved science and loved science. And I was like, woohoo, I have a scientist. You know how parents are. It's like, she's going to be a doctor and, you know, she's going to do brain surgery. And, you know, I sent her to doctor camp and all of these things. That's a real thing, doctor camp? It's actually, um, <laughs> it was veterinary camp, but they learned all this medical stuff and she got to map some DNA one year and it was fantastic. Wow. Yeah. 
There's camps for everything. You gotta look for them. Jason went to space camp when he was little. Did you want to be an astronaut, Jason? You know what? I actually didn't want to be an astronaut, but I was so fascinated by stars and astronomy and the celestial movement. So I actually didn't want to be an astronaut. I just wanted to learn more about the universe and the cosmos. And that seemed to be a pretty great way to do it. That's a wonderful way to do it. Yeah. But the thing that you were then, you know, she gets into high school and I'm nurturing this budding doctor. And she says, I think I'm going to go to college to study music education. She says, I want to be a band teacher. And I went, um, okay, you know, go do that. <laughs> so she went there and that's a great, you know, when that's what she wanted to do, my job as a parent was to say, and you're going to be great. That what you want to do, you're going to be great. And to take my doctor dream that every parent has and put it in my pocket because I know this thing that she loves. If it's what she loves, she's going to be great. And then she gets to college and she spends a semester there and she calls me and she says, uh, so music school is killing my love of music. Wow. <laughs> and I said, okay. I said, okay. And she says, but I just want to tell you, I got three tattoos. And I said, um, all right, you know, it's, I'm going to judge you for a second, but then we'll be fine for it. Cause you know, she had just turned 18 and then she comes back and she says, I think I want to switch my major to astrophysics. Wow. Right. But as a parent, my job was to say, you're going to be great at it. Whether you're a band teacher, whether you're an astrophysicist, whether you're a veterinarian, if you want it bad enough, you're going to be great at it. Because I understand that I went through like three majors, you know, and even the major I graduated with, I graduated with a management information system major. I don't do that. I don't manage information systems right now, right? Because your passion is going to find you. And it doesn't have to find you at 19. And it definitely doesn't have to find you at seven. If you want to be a superhero, my son's name's Daniel. If you want to be a superhero, Daniel, we're going to be that, <laughs> you know? And we're going to make sure you do a superhero in math. We're going to make sure you learn math. We're going to make sure you read and write and do all the things you need to be able to use to develop your passion because it's okay to be a superhero at seven and it's okay to be a superhero at 20 if that's what you're supposed to do if that's your best expression you know it's hard it's going to be hard for my son who's he's 16 now with autism it's going to be hard for him to go and be an architect that's something that requires a lot of math and a lot of skills and a lot of patience and a lot of social interaction but if he wants it bad enough you know I want him to learn to be a learner and learners go and grab what they want to be their own best expression. That's what we want at Exploring Expression is we want people to be the best version of themselves by learning in a method that fills their soul. In terms of learning styles, as we start to wrap up here, Brandy, I'm curious what your approach is in terms of, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that there's like seven different learning styles. I think I'm trying to remember this. I think there's spatial, auditory, musical, linguistic, kinesthetic, mathematical, interpersonal, and intrapersonal. Like in terms of how you see people learn, how do you approach your approach? How do you approach your approach <laughs> to figuring out how a person learns best and then contouring the lessons and the curriculum you have? Like for me, as an example, I'm very much a kinesthetic learner. 
and Whitney knows this because Whitney has taught me how to edit on the computer and a lot of things. And I find that if she or someone else tries to communicate it just verbally, I don't really get it. Like I need a hands-on, show me how to do it and physically do it, and then it'll stick for me. How do you approach that in terms of the different learning styles and helping to figure out what is a person's best way of learning? Well, one of the first things we do, because we do offer coaching and educational consulting, both for kids and adults. And one of the things that we do first is we say, tell me about your family. Tell me about your child. What do they love? What do they love to do? If you look at what a person loves, you can start to get a sense for their learning style. You know, for example, my youngest son, Daniel, is very kinesthetic. He has to move. And or if someone likes to watch a lot of movies or if I would ask you, you know, what do you do when you're not working? Do you go jogging? Do you do this? Do you play video games? How do you do and how do you learn the things that you don't have to learn? This will clue you in to what your learning style is. And then the key is, how do we then take that? You know, a lot of the curriculum, with the exception of the novel studies, but like the Country Plus and the superhero curriculum we have coming out next year, and these are four-year curriculums for K-12, we base on projects. And we make sure that there's something in there for the person who loves to read. Well, here's some books. Well, if you're the person who needs auditory, well, here's some audiobooks, or here's some YouTube videos, or here's some, because you can learn pretty much anything in any manner. You know, we learned the um, Greek alphabet through a rap we found, and the kids rap it and dance to it. I love that. They love it. We do a lot because my boys are both movement oriented. In fact, I taught a workshop several times called ASL and kinesthetic memorization. And it's how to use ASL to both teach a subject and teach a language because it's learning through movement. But once you look at a person, if you don't take the time to know the person and know their family, which is why teachers have such hard jobs, because they have to, in a moment, get to know 30 children with 30 different learning styles and teach one thing. They have a minuscule amount of time. And what we want parents to understand is it doesn't matter if your child's homeschooled, private schooled, public schooled, charter schooled, whatever. You're still their teacher because you know your child best and you know how they learn. If you don't think they're learning enough, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to teach them? If you think they're struggling in math because they don't know the whole grid, new I don't understand the new grid math system with the squares and the lines. However, I understand math. And we learn a whole bunch of math at our household through paying games, like we play Life and Monopoly, and we have stores. I get out my little jar of change. Every parent should have a jar of change. This is just like a tip. <laughs> Every parent should have a giant jar of change. I get out my jar of change, and the boys run around, and they bring in a bunch of stuff, and we label it with prices, and we have a store. Normally, it's like a superhero store with lasers, but still. The first thing you have to do is watch your child and learn about them. And I've said this through several of the different, how do we teach them to understand that it takes people a long time to be reaching successful. We have to take the time to learn about them. How do we teach them to weather adversity? We have to take the time to learn about ourselves and to learn about the world because people are interesting and we are interesting and it's worth learning about. And that's what a learning lifestyle is all about. It's the idea that there's so much to learn about. Why aren't we doing it? And we have so many amazing resources at our fingertips, including you. 
Brandy. So thank you so much for this. One of the things I'm curious about is, do you have your, you mentioned these interviews you did with people, a diversity of, of different types of people. Yes. Is that an audio? Is it a podcast, a YouTube series, blog? Where is that available? We want to link to it in the show notes. I do have a YouTube channel. It's got one of those random YouTube channel IDs. Yeah, well, we'll put that in the show notes so anyone listening can easily find it. I'll send you the link to the YouTube channel. And it was a couple of years ago, so I did those interviews. But they're on there. They're on the YouTube channel, most of them. Great. And also through that, I also do like product reviews because I'm all about finding those like small businesses with interesting little products. Yeah. Like what's one of your favorite off the top of your head? We love, so we got this game. I don't think I've listed it yet, but we got this game on the constitution. That's like this board game. Oh, cool. Now this is an old one, but we absolutely adore Smat. Smat mm. is Scrabble, but with map. Oh, cool. It's fantastic. I do a lot of book reviews. I do a lot of any of those little types of treasures that I find. That's where also my Sunday at seven, every Sunday at seven o'clock, I go and I talk about something and that's all on my YouTube channel. So I'm starting to populate it with more of not only my historical stuff that I did with the interviews, but also the newer things, the products and things that I come across that I think are interesting. You know, book. Amazing. I found this perfect, I don't know if you have small children, but this perfect book, it's not one of mine. But the guy that wrote it is a lawyer, I think, in New York. I did an interview with him at one point that's on there. It's called uh, The Existential Giraffe. Giraffe, like the animal? The Existential Giraffe. And it's a series of children's books. That's the first one. It's my favorite. About like ideas, higher level ideas for small children. And this is about this giraffe who has this existential crisis. And he doesn't know if he's really a giraffe or if he's something else that just thinks he's a giraffe. That is so cute. It kind of sounds like one of your books, too. It does. It does. In fact, I have a new children's book coming out, I believe, in September called Little Lion Makes a Roar. And it's about a little superhero lion, because, you know, superheroes right now, a little super lion that suffers from anxiety. And he wants to make a super roar to save the town. But every time he does, he starts to sweat and stumble and all that comes out is a not so super squeak. That is so cute. <laughs> I love the way that you use these animals to tell these stories and it appeals to not just children, but me as well. I would love to read that. So we'll make sure to link to your website and your Facebook, your YouTube, all of these places where the listener can dive deeper into these incredible resources and lessons that you share and in your interviews and check out your books. And we are so grateful for you, Brandy. All of those links are going to be on our website at wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Thank you, Brandy, for sharing your story and your lessons. And there's just been so much here. This has been such a rich episode. And I don't think anyone's come on our show and told a story that gave us goosebumps before. So <laughs> thank you for making this a very magical journey together and all of your time speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I also want to put a vote in, Brandy, for story time with you, whether or not you feel compelled with all of the incredible books and courses and 
raising three beautiful children. It's not like your plate ain't full. Plate is full, but I'm just throwing a vote. If you ever decided to do some YouTube videos where you're telling these stories, you are just so gifted at it. And I just want to thank you for letting us know more about who you are, what you do, and the gifts that you are sharing with this world. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.